Before the Fellowship was the greatest story you've never heard. I'm Greg. I'm Cameron. I'm Dan. Join us as we read and react to The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien. Last time, we continued reading from chapter 19. Baron and Felagund alone remained of the captives of Sauron. Sauron sent a wolf to kill Baron, but Felagund slayed it with his bare hands. Felagund was mortally wounded, and Baron mourned him. Luthien and Huan came to rescue him, and Huan successfully fought off the father of the werewolves of Angband. Sauron took the form of, were- of a werewolf to fight Huan, knowing that it was his fate to die by a werewolf. Luthien and Huan overcame him, and he fled to the north. The people of Nargothrond came to follow Orodreth and saw that Kurifin and Kelegorm were blameworthy in the death of their king, Finrod Felagin, and thus banished them from Nargothrond. Later, Kurifin and Kelegorm ambushed Baron and Luthien, hoping to kill him and capture her. Huan decided to betray his master and helped Baron and Luthien to, to escape. Baron decided to continue his quest to take a Silmaril. Luthien and Huan, disguised as a vampire and a werewolf, caught up to him. Baron tried to dissuade Luthien from willfully entering such dangers, but Huan spoke for the second time, counseling him that as long as his fate was tied to the Silmarils, Luthien could not be free from the shadow of Morgoth. Baron and Luthien took up the disguises and started northward. Today, we continue reading Chapter 9, beginning on page 179 of the second edition. They passed through all perils until they came with the dust of their long and weary road upon them to the drear dale that lay before the gate of Angband. Black chasms opened beside the road, whence forms as of writhing serpents issued. On either hand, the cliffs stood as embattled walls, and upon them sat Carrion Fowl, crying with fell voices. Before them was the impregnable gate, an arch wide and dark at the foot of the mountain. Above it reared a thousand feet of precipice. There dismay took them, for at the gate was a guard of whom no tidings had yet gone forth. Rumor of he rumor of he knew not what designs abroad among the princes of elves had come to Morgoth, and ever down the aisles of the forest was heard the baying of Huan, the great hound of war, whom long ago the Valar unleashed. Then Morgoth recalled the doom of Huan, and he chose one from among the whelps of the race of Draugluin, and fed him with his own hand upon living flesh, and put his power upon him. Swiftly the wolf grew until he could creep into no den, but lay huge and hungry before the feet of Morgoth. There the fire and anguish of hell entered into him, and he became filled with a devouring spirit, spirit, tormented, terrible, and strong. Karcharoth, the Red Ma, he is named, in the tales of those days, and Anfoglir, 
the jaws of thirst. And Morgoth set him to lie unsleeping before the doors of Angban, lest Huan come. Now Karcharath espied them from afar, and he was filled with doubt, for news had long been brought to Angban that Dragluin was dead. Therefore, when they approached, he denied them entry and bade them stand, and he drew near with menace, scenting something strange in the air about them. But suddenly some power descended from of old, from divine race, possessed Luthien, and casting back her foul raiment, she stood forth, small before the might of Karcharath, but radiant and terrible. Lifting up her hand, she commanded him to sleep, saying, O woe-begotten spirit, fall now into dark oblivion, and forget for a while the dreadful doom of life. And Karcharath was felled, and though light, as though lightning had smitten him. Then Baron and Luthien went through the gate and down the labyrinthine stairs, and together wrought the greatest deed that has been dared by elves or men. For they came to the seat of Morgoth in his nethermost hall, that was upheld by horror, lit by fire, filled with weapons of death and torment. There, Baron slunk in wolf's form beneath his throne. But Luthien was stripped of her disguise by the will of Morgoth, and he bent his gaze upon her. She was not daunted by his eyes, and she named her own name and offered her service to sing before him after the man manner of a minstrel. Then Morgoth, looking upon her beauty, conceived in his thought an evil lust and a design more dark than any that had yet come into his heart since he fled from Valinor. Thus he was beguiled by his own malice, for he watched her, leaving her free, leaving free for a while, and taking secret pleasure in his thought. Then suddenly she eluded his sight, and out of the shadow began a song of such surpassing loveliness and of such blinding power that he listened perforce, and a blindness came upon him, and his eyes roamed to and fro seeking her. All his court were cast down in slumber, and all the fires faded and were quenched, but the silmarils in the crown on Morgoth's head blazed forth suddenly with the radiance of white flame, and the burden of that crown and of the jewels bowed down his head as though the world were set upon it, laden with the weight of care, of fear, and of desire that even the will of Morgoth could not support. Then Luthien, catching up her winged robe, sprang into the air, and her voice came down like rain into pools, profound and dark. She cast her cloak before his eyes and set upon him a dream, dark as the outer void where once he walked alone. Suddenly he fell as a hill sliding in avalanche and hurled like thunder from his throne, lay prone upon the floors of hell. The iron crown rolled, echoing from his head. All things were still. As a dead beast, Baron lay upon the ground, but Luthien, touching him with her hand, aroused him, 
and he cast aside the wolf hame. Then he drew forth the knife Angrist, and from the iron claws that held it, he cut the Silmaril. As he closed it in his hand, the radiance welled through his living flesh, and his hand became as a shining lamp. But the jewel suffered his touch and hurt him not. It came then into Baron's mind that he would go beyond his vow and bear out of Angband all three of the jewels of Feanor. But such was not the doom of the Silmarils. The knife Angrist snapped, and a shard of the blade flying smote the cheek of Morgoth. He groaned and stirred, and all the host of Angban moved in sleep. Then terror fell upon Baron and Luthien, and they fled heedless and without disguise, desiring only to see the light once more. They were neither hindered nor pursued, but the gate was held against their going out, for Karcharath had arisen from sleep and stood now in wrath upon the threshold of Angband. Before they were aware of him, he saw them and sprang upon them as they ran. Luthien was spent, and she had not time nor strength to quell the wolf, but Baron strode forth before her, and in his right hand he held aloft the Silmaril. Karcharath halted, and for a moment was afraid. Get you gone and fly, cried Baron, for here is a fire that shall consume you and all evil things. And he thrust the Silmaril before the eyes of the wolf. But Karcharath looked upon that holy jewel and was not daunted. And the devouring spirit within him awoke to sudden fire. And gaping, he took suddenly the hand within his jaws and he bit it off at the wrist. Then swiftly, all his inwards were filled with a flame of anguish and the Silmaril seared his accursed flesh. Howling, he fled before them and the walls of the valley of the gate echoed with that clamor of his torment. So terrible did he become in his madness that all the creatures of Morgoth that abode in that valley or were upon any of the roads that led thither fled far away, for he slew all living things that stood in his path and burst from the north with ruin upon the world. Of all the terrors that came ever into Beleriand, Ere Angban's fall, the madness of Karcharath was the most dreadful, for the power of the Silmaril was hidden within him. Now Baron lay in a swoon within the perilous gate, and death drew nigh him, for there was venom on the fangs of the wolf. Luthien with her lips drew out the venom, and she put forth her failing power to staunch the hideous wound. But behind her in the depths of Angban, the rumor grew of great wrath aroused. The hosts of Morgoth were awakened. Thus, the quest of the Silmaril was like to have ended in ruin and despair. But in that hour above the wall of the valley, three mighty birds appeared, flying northward with wings swifter than the wind. Among all birds and beasts, the wandering and need of Baron had been noised, and Huan himself had bidden all things watch, that they might bring him aid. High above the realm of Morgoth, Thorondor and his vassals soared, 
And seeing now the madness of the wolf and Baron's fall, they came swiftly down, even as the powers of Angban were released from the toils of sleep. Then they lifted up Luthien and Baron from the earth and bore them aloft into the clouds. Below them suddenly thunder rolled, lightnings leaped upward, and the mountains quaked. Fire and smoke belched forth from Thungordrim, and flaming bolts were hurled far abroad, falling ruinous upon the lands. And the Noldor and Hithloom trembled. But Thorndor took his way far above the earth, seeking the high roads of heaven, where the sun day-long shines unveiled, and the moon walks amid the cloudless stars. Thus they passed swiftly over Dor Nufoglith and over Tower Nufuin, and came above the hidden valley of Tumladen. No cloud nor mist lay there, and looking down, Luthien saw far below, as a white light starting from a green jewel, the radiance of Gondolin the Fair, where Turgon dwelt. But she wept, for she thought, thought that Baron would surely die. He spoke no word, nor opened his eyes, and knew thereafter nothing of his flight. And at last the eagles set them down upon the borders of Doriath, and they were come to that same dell whence Baron had stolen in despair and left Luthien asleep. There the eagles laid her at Baron's side and returned to the peaks of Chryseagrim and their high Ares. But Juan came to her, and together they tended Baron, even as before when she healed him of the wound that Kudafin gave to him. But this wound was fell and poisonous. Long Baron lay, and his spirit wandered upon the dark borders of death, knowing ever an anguish that pursued him from dream to dream. Then suddenly, when her hope was almost spent, he woke again, and looked up, seeing leaves against the sky, and he heard beneath the leaves singing soft and slow beside him, Luthien Tenuvio. And it was spring again. Thereafter, Baron was named Ertamion, which is the one-handed, and suffering was graven in his face, but at last he was drawn back to life by the love of Luthien. And he arose, and together they walked in the woods once more. And they did not hasten from that place, for it seemed fair to them. Luthien, indeed, was willing to wander in the wild without returning, forgetting house and people and all the glory of the elf kingdoms. And for a time, Baron was content. But he could not for long forget his oath to return to Menegroth, nor would he withhold Luthien from Thingol forever. For he held by the law of men, deeming it perilous to set at naught the will of the Father, save at the last need. And it seemed also to him unfit that one so royal and fair as Luthien should live always in the woods as the rude hunters among men, without home or honor or the fair things which are the delight of the queens of the Eldalier. Therefore, after a while, he persuaded her, and their footsteps forsook the houseless lands, and he passed into Doriath, leading Luthien home.
so their doom willed it. Upon Doriath, evil days had fallen. Grief and silence had come upon all its people when Luthien was lost. Long they had sought for her in vain, and it is told that in that time, Deron, the, minist- the minstrel of Thingol, strayed from the land and was seen no more. He it was that made music for the dance and song of Luthien before Baron came to Doriath, and he had loved her and set all his thought of her in his music. He became the greatest of all the minstrels of the elves east of the sea, named even before Maglor, son of Feanor. But seeking for Luthien in despair, he wandered upon strange paths, and passing over the mountains, he came into the east of Middle-earth, where for many ages he made lament beside dark waters for Luthien, daughter of Thingol, most beautiful of all living things. In that time Thingol turned to Melian, but now she withheld her counsel from him, saying that the doom he had devised must work to its appointed end, and that he must wait now upon time. But Thingol learned that Luthien had journeyed far from Doriath, for messages came secretly from Kelagorm, as has been told, saying that Felagund was dead and Baron was dead, but Luthien was in Nargothrond, and that Kelagorm would wed her. Then Thingol was wrathful, and he sent forth spies thinking to make war upon Nargothrond, and thus he learned that Luthien was again fled, and that Kelagorm and Kudafin were driven from Nargothrond. Then his counsel was in doubt, for he had not the strength to assail the seven sons of Feanor. But he sent messengers to Himring to summon their aid in seeking for Luthien, since Kelagorm had not sent her to the house of her father, nor had he kept her safely. But in the north of his realm, his messengers met a peril sudden and unlooked for, the onslaught of Karcharoth, the wolf of Angband. In his madness, he had run ravening from the north and passing at length over Tar Nufuin. Upon its eastern side, he came down from the sources of Esgalduin, like a destroying fire. Nothing hindered him, and the might of Melian upon the borders of the land stayed him not, for fate drove him, and the power of the Silmaril that bore he bore to his torment. Thus, he burst into the inviolate woods of Doriath, and all fled away in fear. Alone of the messengers, Mablung, chief captain of the king, escaped, and he brought the dread tidings to Thingol. In summary, Baron and Luthien reached the gate of Angband, which is guarded by Karcharath, a terrible werewolf raised by Morgoth himself. Luthien puts Karcharath to sleep, and they make their way into the throne room of Morgoth. Morgoth lusts after her, and Luthien takes advantage of this moment to cast her cloak over him and sets on him a powerful dream. His crown of iron falls off, and Baron cuts one of the Silmarils free. He attempts to take another, but his knife breaks and awakens Morgoth. Baron and Luthien flee and encounter Karcharath outside the gate. Baron attempts to ward him off with the Silmaril, 
but Karchadath bites off his hand with the Silmaril and flees. Baron is near death when Thorondor and the eagles come and bear Baron and Luthien to Gondolin and into the woods near Doriath. Luthien and Huan slowly heal Baron. Dark times fall upon Doriath with Luthien absent. Thingol hears rumors that Finrod and Baron are dead and that Luthien is to be wed to Keligorm. He is enraged by this and sends out spies, even thinking to make war against Nargothrond, but he learns that Keligorm and Kurofin have been banished there. Kartrath, in his madness and with the Silmaril inside him, breaks through the girdle of Melian and terrorizes Doriath. So, that's a... This is what's so fascinating for me about this chunk of the story. Pretty much everything we've read so far is is covering the creation of the Silmarils and all the fate tied to them and all the things that people are doing. But for like this kind of like this middle third of the book, no one has even come close to retrieving a Silmaril. Yeah. This is like by far the furthest anyone has come to retrieving one of the Silmarils. It's similar to the conquest in uh, the War of the Ring, where it's the smallest and what would be the most hopeless and the most meek, you know, and overlooked that finds a way somehow. So it's it's never through the, you know, the big battle pushing, trying mm. to push back the evil. It's through the, it's like the. The love and the, you know, cleverness, um, the like the skill of Luthien is just amazing. How she, she comes in and she has her part to play. You know, she's not just tagging along like she casts a spell on Karcharoth and um, and on Morgoth. And it's just so cool. I would love to see this mm -hmm. as a film. Can you imagine mm -hmm. Baron and Luthien as a film like you have? The, the beginning of the film is similar to how Lord of the Rings starts, where it just catches you up to speed on the history of the Silmarils. It's like, you know, the creation of the world, the Silmarils, the capture of them, and now we're in the, the story. And it's just Baron and Luthien's story would be mm. amazing. Mm. I would watch that. For sure. It'd be awesome. Have you read the, because uh, there's a standalone book, isn't there, Baron and Luthien? Mm -hmm. I have not read that. Cameron, um, you read it? I feel like this no, is... No, I haven't read right a standalone book. But uh, there was like a collection of the like poems. Like similar to the song you read, there's like a whole series of songs that tell their story, I think. Uh, I mean, there's a, sta there's a standalone story. And there's a beautiful oh, cool. version of it with um, uh, e e Eaton, Eastern Press. Um, yeah, really? Check, yeah, check this out. Send it to me. Oh, wait, we'll add it to the stream. Here we go. Yeah, just have a look at it. Whoa, yeah, that's uh, nice. Wait, hold on. This is different than what we read? Yeah, yeah, this is a standalone story. So I think it's probably it was probably released after Tolkien's death. Um, that's 111. Oh, only three monthly installments of $37. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you can get you can get other, other versions though. of it. Yeah, it's really beautiful. You can get other versions that are cheaper, normal price. But look at that binding. I know. It's Eastern beautiful. Press yeah. books are really good. Eastern but, Press. Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually just ran into someone who's reading that. Not they don't think that, he doesn't have that copy, but I was like, "Can I borrow that when you're done? I'd love to read that to you." Yeah, I bet it's well good. So, okay, so you got Karchadoth or Karkadoth? Kar the Red Maw, the Jaws of Thirst. On fog, what a beast! So good. It's 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 kind of like what you said. Where, um, it's interesting because there's like the father of werewolves, and he dies. But this is like, in some sense, more evil and more powerful than even his father. Like, he's raised by Morgoth with living flesh. In an and, unnatural way, too. Yeah, yeah. living flesh, which is probably not, <clears throat> I don't know. The way it's yeah, described, it sounds uh, like he's... I think that's the normal diet of werewolf. <laughs> living flesh. That's true. Yeah, yeah you, it's alive before it's right. dead. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know any werewolves him. personally. Um, and oh, I have a I have an observation too. Yeah. Uh, so when they do eventually get into, uh, they come to Morgoth's throne. It says that Morgoth looked upon her beauty. When he did this, conceived in his thought an evil lust, and a design more dark. Than any that had yet come into his heart since he fled Valinor. He's done some evil stuff since he's fled from Valinor. He's killed a lot of people. He's <laughs> yep. like bred orcs. He's done, but I think I think kind of what it's saying to you is just that in many ways, what he's done now is lust after objects, the Silmarils, but the lust after a person is like that much darker. And it the like the the, the core of it is that much more evil. And you'd imagine the twisting of Luthien would be like a more evil act than the twisting of right because she's like the pinnacle of beauty in Middle Earth. So, yeah, Hmm. I thought it was pretty awesome that Baron's hand got. yeah, what is this, a Star Wars movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, Karkaroth's uh, hand, uh, not hand, his swiftly all his inward innards were filled with a flame of anguish. Um, and the Silmaril seared his We've accursed all been flesh. There. And it, like, drove him insane, basically. It reminds me of the time I got pepper sprayed. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I just ran out of the building screaming uh, like that a madman. That was bad. I you was ran away. <laughs> well, he, pepper sprayed and then he, he starts sprinting. Couldn't handle it. <laughs> yeah, he ran to the nearest grocery store and trying to run milk. away from the pain. He's just pouring milk <laughs> oh, over God. his face for hours. By the way, this lasted like probably six or seven hours. <laughs> No, oh, it wasn't man. that long. It was an afternoon. It was like three hours. Of <laughs> was it the just most three intense... hours? It was maybe four at the most. It was the most intense pain I've ever felt in my whole life. Though, so, yeah, but I mean that's that's basically what he was feeling, Karkaroth. Yeah. And then, yeah. but that drove him insane, and he goes off to, uh, he runs away just like Karkaroth. You know mm-hmm. how uh, Tolkien left a lot to our imagination with. Angband and Morgoth and it's like we always just heard about this subterranean throne and Mm -hmm. it's dark there's monsters down there Um, but he just wrote the heck out of that scene like the way he describes it is so compelling Um, you know 
For they came to the seat of Morgoth in his nethermost hall that was upheld by horror, lit by fire and filled with weapons of death and torment. Um, and the, the way like Morgoth falls, like his head is bowed down yeah. by the weight of the Silmarils and he falls like a hill sliding an avalanche and hurled like thunder from his throne, lay prone on the floors of hell. Just so good. Yeah. yeah I just yeah, love yeah. love Tolkien's descriptions of things. He's so good. Yeah. Wait, what page is it was that? That's one eighty one. What Cameron just read yep. top of one eighty one. And where did where did Baron get Angris that, that knife again? So that was in our previous reading. Yeah. He took it from I think Kudafin when they attacked him. Remember he had Isn't that interesting he, that it's that knife he uses? Yeah, like I wonder how else he would have got the Silmaril out. It's kind of that providential thing, right? Yeah. Like he, so in the previous reading, he was like on top of Kurfin, strangling him or something. And Luthien said, like, let him go. And so he just took his knife and took his weapons and stuff. And that's what he had to cut the... I mean, it is interesting that they must be like a powerful knife, right? Because eventually it did break, but yeah. it's like Morgoth's crown. You know, it must just be enchanted and protected and all this. Right. Yeah, or I wonder if it was the Silmaril that broke it. Possibly. Yeah. Wow. I, I think, I have, a different, I think a, I have a different oh. translation than you guys, because you said at the top of 81, 181. Yeah. Yeah, that paragraph there. I the bottom comes... of the first paragraph. Suddenly he fell as a hill. Okay. No, I mean the one describing the um like the weapons and um... Oh, that's in the bottom of Oh, that's the bottom of 180. Okay. Is yours in British? Yeah. yeah, I think that's the problem. You know what? While you're looking at that, um, one of our mutual friends, a Scotsman of notoriety, said he was listening to the show and he thought that you just you've lost your English accent completely. You sound like no, a Dan. Dan still has it. He was in England and they they received him with open arms. Yeah, they did. And, so uh, he, he he just hasn't listened for long enough. Well, he said like, "Oh, that Dan. He's always trying to play up his English." <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Dan walks both. He Tell him to get a haircut next time you see him. Okay, I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of pepper spray, at the bottom of 181, when Baron cries out, here is a fire that shall consume you. That's how I felt. And all evil things. That's what pepper spray is for. <laughs> Political. <laughs> well, pepper spray is to, like, stop an assailant. Like you're being, you're about to be mugged or something. Okay, Mister yeah, NRA. Yeah. Oh man, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you're gonna get so much flack for this. <laughs> for pepper spray. Oh, the Rondor comes back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's one of those things. It makes me, you know, there's the um, how it should have ended, Lord yeah. of the Rings thing, where like they just ride by eagles to Mount Doom and throw the ring in. Yeah, they keep showing up like a little bit after the action's over. They don't really help that much. They just kind of 
Rest they help when hope is lost, I think. Hmm. When it's like, no, hope is lost. And if Thorondor doesn't do th- something, like, hope is lost. I think that's the moment they step seem to step in. Hmm. Is when there's no one else. Interesting. They're they're very interesting. They they kind of they watch, they wait, they're patient. But they they um, be a Titanic reference there, right? No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> just, I just made that sentence up. But but actually though, isn't um wow, we're going way back, I think, going way back. I think Rose in the Titanic has a Silmaril at the end. Doesn't she drop a Silmaril? Oh in yeah, the water? good point. She does, yeah. Cause they cause the And the, then it's her family won it. Her in-laws, the orcs. Yeah, she didn't care about the riches. Yeah. And you guys yeah. spoiled what I was going to make at the end of the book. Ugh, I can't. Oh, you had a joke you were Don't worry, waiting wait. to we, use we will, for days and weeks? We will forget. I've been saving this for the end, yeah. Okay, okay no, we will forget. It'll be, it'll be even funnier. Yeah. So, okay, what I was going to say was that Manwe, remember Manwe, King of the Valar? I do. Yeah, we haven't talked about him in a while, but he's like this—he's the one connected with the eagles. Yeah, and that's what he does. He watches. He sees things. So it does make sense that they also just watch and wait. Yeah, it's it's an example of the Valar influencing the um, timeline of Middle Earth without them, you know, walking around in some shoes and you know, lifting things up and doing things. It's uh yeah, if you see Thorondor, you know the will of Mon Monway is at play. Mm. Yeah, and it's un- it's unclear whether the you know the great music that happened at the very beginning, it's unclear whether that was like the complete playing out of history in musical form and then now it's in physical form. And if it is, then if it is the, the playing out of the music in physical form then everybody has their part. And so the way things are, are that way because that's the way they are, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it, that, that's the way it was kind of played out and that's the mm-hmm. way it's going to play out. So the, 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 the criticism of, well, why don't the Eagles step in or why don't the, either step in or whatever you want to say doesn't really work because the story has its own purposes and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you could probably always logic a better like outcome of a story. Yeah, that's true. And it's funny that you say that because something I was just thinking about, there are some rep- like repetitive elements of this single story of Baron and Luthien like Baron keeps getting hurt and Luthien keeps healing him. Yeah. And and but but it's not like that's not it's not taking anything away from the story that that's happened multiple times. It's just something like it's kind of what you were saying earlier Cameron that Baron just goes into everything he does. Like he knows the purpose of what he's doing and he walks into danger and usually he's left like battered and broken. Um Luthien just sticks with him and puts that stake on his face over his black eye and the ham makes him better. Yeah, the ham, the ham, <laughs> the uh, the wolf ham. 
Uh, we're gonna get our producer's gonna be so mad about that. <laughs> well, I, uh, what I don't understand is that it's like it, it seemed like time had passed quite a while, and Baron has still got that haim. He's like he's like kept it, and then yeah, he's, he keeps wearing it. He's like attached to it. It's like kind of <laughs> weird. It's like, dude, you just like let it go. Now. It's like it's like t- smells terrible. Yeah. And it's like rotting. <laughs> it's like rotting and. Just... <laughs> Like Horrible. a man will wear like He's like, no, I'm hats. a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I need to find that dog suit, man, that you mentioned in the oh last episode. Gosh. It's not what do I, Why do I search? It's dog disturbing. suit, man? Or... Sure. Daily Wire covered it. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, last thing. Last thing. Why would you do that? Last thing and then mute yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Uh, okay. Uh, I love this. That that uh, Karcharoth or Karkaroth. I don't. I don't know if CH is a K it's, sound. It's pronounced as like Karkaroth. Karkaroth. Yeah. The Wolf of Longvan. He just like runs into Doriath, terrorizing everybody. That's where we left off. That's where we're leaving it here. He just. In his madness with the summer inside of him, he just starts tearing things apart. Yeah, he's gone insane. Actually, you would think, if you swallowed pepper spray. Well, Cameron and I went to Buffalo Wild Wings once and ate the uh, really hot ones there. Uh-huh. And Cameron went a little bit wild after that, painted the town red, <laughs> and is is not allowed back in Minnesota. Actually, that's why he left. <laughs> All right, I think we're. Well, please, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on on uh, this. We were a little unhinged today, but give us your thoughts on Discord. Send us an email if you'd like. Um, if you like what you... Oh, I did want to... I should give a shout out for one of the emails. Um, oh, yeah. Love that. We did receive an email. Um, <laughs> saying that we should... Uh, we should actually we should read Guy K. We yeah, should read right. Guy K. We shouldn't just make him a joke. He's like actually a good author. So we love Guy K. We we've never met Tolkien, Guy K. No, but if Tolkien loves him, it's yeah. love at first. Hear his name. Yeah, yeah. If he's good enough for Tolkien, he's name, good enough yeah. for us. You know, we yeah. just it would be awesome to have him, him on. We'd love that. Yeah, yeah. One day. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and read us three summaries out of three. Or if you thought this episode was just okay, maybe drop down to a two out of three. Yeah, just give us two out of three. Yeah, which is like sixty-six percent. So when you compare, it's basically four out of five. To be honest, yeah, Yeah. just round it up. Yep. And if you round up to four, you might as well round it. Yep. And follow us everywhere. It's basically five. And join us on Discord. Join the discussion and send any comments to beforethefellowship at gmail.com. Join us next time. As we read the greatest story you never heard, The Silmarillion by J.R.R. Tolkien.